The scripture reading for today is the book of 3 John. You can find that in the Pubeck Bibles on page 1026. Uh, 3 John, page 1026. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and, we know, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace to you, be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning, church. Steph, is this your pen? Good morning. Just tossing pens this morning. I, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who once said, it takes many good deeds to build a good reputation and only one bad one to lose it. Benny knew the value of a good reputation, uh, but he wasn't the only one. I think the apostle John did too. Over the last um, few months, we've been working our way through John's letters. Uh, unlike First and Second John, this little letter that, that Steph just read for us is written to one man with a good reputation in the church. This little le letter wasn't just uh, for this one man, though. Third John is providentially placed in our Bibles for our good, too. And we're going to look through the lens, through the mirror of 3 John together this morning. And as we, as we do this, we're going to come face to face with a question this morning. Do our names bring fame to Jesus' name? Our big idea this morning is, is, is a big uh, and really important question. Does your name bring fame to Jesus' name? Here's where we're going to go this morning. There are uh, three, you may have noticed, there's three beloveds that sort of break, there's four, but there's three that break up this little letter. Verse 2, beloved. Verse 5, beloved. Verse 11, beloved. Again, together we're going to see that some good things are being said about this man that John is writing to. Good things are being said about him. Good things are being done by him, and then a good word is given to him. Notice who John is, is writing to. He's writing to a man named Gaius. See that there in verse 1. It says, the elder to the beloved, or my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. His buddies called him good guy Gaius. 
thought that was going to be received a little differently. Good guy, Gaius. The name Gaius, in case you're wondering, it shows up a few times uh, in the New Testament. It was a pretty popular name back in the day. Um, you've got Gaius of Corinth. Uh, we see that in 1 Corinthians. Uh, then there's Gaius of Macedonia, who's mentioned in Acts 19. Another Gaius is mentioned in Acts 20. Uh, he traveled with Paul on his last known journey from Greece through Macedonia. All these Gaiuses, they were good guys, I'm sure, but there's no evidence that suggests that any of them were the same Gaius that, that John is writing to. Whoever this Gaius was, though, it's clear that John's got a really deep, deep affection for him. Four times he uses this word beloved to describe him. Look at verse 1. He says, the elder to the beloved Gaius. Verse 2, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you. Verse 5, beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do. And verse 11, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. John loves this man, this good man, Gaius, uh, for at least two reasons. Uh, for one, we see in verses 2 through 4 that good things were being said about him. And then in, in verses 5 through 8, we'll get to later, a good work was being done by him. Good things were being said about him, and a good thing was being done by him. Evidently, this guy's name was bringing a whole lot of fame to Jesus' name. What were some of the good things uh, that were being said about Gaius? Let's pick up in verse 2. John writes, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Notice real quick how John describes what he is feeling after hearing all of these good things about his good friend Gaius. He says, I rejoiced greatly when the brothers testified to your truth. And then he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that you are walking in the truth. Somehow, just hearing some of the good things about Gaius uh, from these brothers was good medicine for John's soul. You may already know this, but um, John has just gone through something that no pastor would ever want to relive. If there's any connection between the communities that John's writing to in 1st and 2nd John, and now in 3rd John, we know that this pastor has just been through a really painful season of ministry. This little community that he's been pastoring has just gone through an incredibly divisive moment. If you remember all the way back when we worked through uh, 1st John, John says that there were, there were folks within the church uh, leaving the church to set up this competing vision of Jesus, who he was, uh, what he meant, what he did, what he came to do. In fact, last week when we, when we were in 2nd John, uh, these deceivers, they're brought up again, and they're still at work, still doing their thing. 2 John verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. John and this little community of faith have just weathered what, what we might call today a church split. 
Some of you know uh, Kate's dad is a pastor. He's been pastoring, faithfully pastoring the same church for, I think it's 30 plus years. Um, Around 15 years ago, um, their little church went through a really painful split. And it, it was in the the wake of this split, I'll never forget uh, the words that he said to me. He said, John, every day feels like it could be the end. Today's it. Today's the end. I feel like I'm presiding over the funeral or the death of our little church. And I, I wonder if this is something of what John was feeling in the moment, writing Third John. But in the midst of a hard season... He gets some really good news of a good thing going on in the life of the church. Put yourself in John's shoes. I mean, how encouraging would it be to hear this good news? Good things were being said about his good friend Gaius, namely that this dude is walking lockstep with God's truth. Twice John uses this phrase, uh, walking in the truth. You see it there, verse 3. It says, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Then again, verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I, I don't know. I, I, sometimes I wonder if we, if we sort of get caught up uh, believing that in order to make God's name famous, uh, we need to, to be about doing big things. God. But Gaius, uh, he wasn't doing big things for God. He wasn't building hospitals or, or digging wells or starting movements. There's nothing wrong with those things, but he just wasn't doing these things. What folks around Gaius noticed the most about Gaius was that he was walking in the truth of the gospel, in the little things of life. Gaius loved Jesus. And his love for Jesus, it permeated all, every part of his life. So you want to know how you make Jesus' name famous in your spheres of, of influence. Not by doing big things for God, but by walking in the truth in the little things of life. Not by doing big things for God, but by walking in the truth in the little things of life. It takes a whole lot of courage to follow Jesus in the little things, church. It's a struggle to walk in the truth when you're mad at your spouse or you're frustrated with your kids. It's a struggle to keep walking in the truth when you feel like you just keep losing the fight with that sin. It's a struggle to walk in the truth when your coworkers reject your Jesus and they think you're a weird Christian. It's a struggle to keep walking in the truth when you know the Eagles should have won the Super Bowl. <laughs> it takes a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of courage to follow Jesus in the little things. God, give us the grace and courage that we need to follow Jesus in the little things, amen? Well, evidently, uh, Gaius, Gaius' name was bringing a whole lot of fame to Jesus' name. Good things were being said about him, uh, even by complete strangers. 
Which, which begs the question, what, what about you? What about me? Are good things being said about you? Are they being said about me? Dan, Dave, Justin, Tim, I'm just pulling names out right now. You can insert your name. Man, I could tell he loves Jesus and walks in his ways. Jen, Rachel, Steph, insert your name. Yeah, yeah, I've heard, I've heard that they love Jesus a lot and are walking in his truth. Do others around you know that you love and live for the risen Christ? Are good things being said about you? Good things are being said about this good man, Gaius, and then a good thing was being done by him, too. Let's, let's find out what that good thing was. Verse 5. John says, Beloved, it's a faithful thing that you do in all of your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Gaius wasn't living the glamorous life, but he was living the generous life. Generous with his space, uh, generous with his, his time, generous with his things. Gaius lived the generous life, not the glamorous life. His heart and his home weren't sacred, off-limit spaces, but open places where strangers were welcomed and embraced. Places where strangers were brought in and cared for, then sent on their way with full hearts and full bellies. Everyone knew that, that Gaius was in the business of advancing God's global mission through his table, uh, one hot meal at a time. The generous life for Gaius is the hospitable life. Gaius was known for being graciously hospitable. But what's, what's so interesting about 3 John is the aspect of hospitality that John is commending here. Did you catch what's going on there? Verse, verse 7. He's holding Gaius up as an example of what it looks like to welcome and embrace not just a stranger, but those who have gone out, John tells us, gone out for the sake of the name of Jesus. There's a, there's a missional there's a missionary bent to Gaius's generosity here. John's commending Gaius for putting up missionaries in his home, welcoming them in and embracing them, then sending them on their way. See that phrase there in verse 6. John says, send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. That's a, that's a really sort of unique phrase in the New Testament that has to do with missionary support shows up in Acts 15, 3, Romans 15, 24, 1 Corinthians 16, Titus. What Gaius is up to isn't something new. It's at least as old as 2 Kings. I came across this story the other day, 2 Kings chapter 4, the, the story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman. Maybe you Maybe you know it. It goes like this. It's, it's up on the screen. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food, whatever she whipped up for that first dinner. It must have been really good. He wanted more. 
She said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man, a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there, in there for him a bed, a table, a chair, a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. This Shunammite family built a little guest room for this traveling preacher. Hospitality with a missional and missionary bent. This sort of thing is as old as Second Kings, and, and interestingly, it's also something that, that Jesus himself commends. In Matthew 25, we, we see Jesus separating out two groups. You've got the, the sheep on the one hand and then the goats on the other. Uh, one of the defining characteristics of, of the one group is, uh, and it's on screen, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. Versus the other group, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Second Kings uh, commends this sort of thing that we see Gaius doing in Third John. Jesus commends it. Uh, and if we were to look at some of the earliest writings of, uh, of the early church, we'd see all kinds of stories, all kinds of examples where this sort of thing is commended to and practiced. Strangers being welcomed and embraced because of the gospel and then sent on their way for the sake of the gospel. One pastor calls it, uh, I love this, it's a, a, a global connectivity grounded in the gospel. A global connect, connectivity grounded in the gospel. Uh, a few weeks ago, Travis Weber pulled me aside. I wasn't in trouble. He just pulled me aside. Travis and Jordan, they, they're both really invested in the, the global mission team. They keep regular tabs on, on the Phillips family, uh, the family that we prayed for uh, this morning. Uh, if you're new to Trinity, Brian uh, and Cassie were members here. They're now uh, missionaries in Granada, Spain. If you keep up with our weekly newsletter, you you've probably know by now that Brian and a small army of teenagers are going to be coming our way uh, to Philly in two weeks. Uh, so a few weeks ago, Travis pulls me aside and he says something like, hey, I was just talking with Brian. Uh, he's, he says he still has some housing needs. Uh, there's some gaps there. Uh, and I'm wondering if any of our folks have the capacity to host him and, and some of these teenage boys for a few days. Look, the Webbers are the reason why we have the chance as a church to bless Brian and his crew soon. Really grateful for their hearts for missionaries. Also, I, I actually think that Brian still needs some of those gaps filled. So if you're thinking that you'd like to put uh, Third John into practice and help host one of our, our missionaries, a couple teenage boys, uh, maybe just for a night, um, get in touch with me, or Travis will put you in contact with Brian. But things like this, uh, when they come up in the life of our church, look at them as exciting opportunities to be a part of something so much bigger than any one of us. Like Gaius, we get to be part of this, um, this global gospel connectivity. It may feel like a small thing, 
like maybe an insignificant thing. You're just, you're keeping your door open, pulling an extra chair up to the table, giving someone a warm bed to sleep in, caring for them, praying for them, and then just sending them on their way. But listen, God is weaving all of our small things into his big story to make Jesus' name famous on every square inch of the globe. God is weaving all of our small things, even things like this, into his big story to make Jesus' name famous all over the globe. Taking courage uh, to be faithful in a small thing like this is how our names bring fame to Jesus' name. But I feel like I need to be—I feel like I need to be straight with you guys. I feel like I have uh, when. I feel like I have a ton of room to grow when it comes to this sort of thing. Maybe you do too. When I hear about things like this, I immediately think, ah, I don't know if I have, I don't know if I've got the time for that. I don't know if I have the right space or enough space to help with this. Or here's the one that that I go to the most. Other people are really, really good at this. So let me just connect them to those people. I need God to grow my capacity for welcoming and embracing the stranger. And maybe you do too. So why should we want to be a church who practices this sort of thing? Why should you and I make a habit of opening our door to friends and strangers just passing through doing a good thing for the gospel? John tells us why in verse 7. They've gone out, he says, for the sake of the name. That's our motivation right there. Do it for the sake of the name. Do it for Jesus' sake. Do it so that someone else might see and savor Jesus himself, maybe for the first time ever. Good things were being said about this man. Good things were being done by him. Last, we'll see this morning, is that a a good word uh, is given to him. Before we move on real quick, uh, did you notice the contrast between good Gaius and this other dude that John mentions in uh, verses 9 and 10, a guy by the name of Diotrephes? Here's what he says about Diotrephes. He says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge my authority. So if I come, I will bring up what what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and and, and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes was, was up to some, some bad and harmful things. We're not going to get into all of that, but, but did you catch what the root of it all is for him? Look there again at verse 9. John says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, doesn't acknowledge our authority. The biggest threat to our little church isn't, isn't out there. It's inside of us. The biggest threat 
to our little church is this craving that we all have of wanting to put ourselves first. It started as a, a sort of a quiet whisper in his own heart. I want what I want, and I'm going to do what I need to do to get it. Started as a whisper, but then it grew into something much bigger. Diotrephes is, I think he's a cautionary tale to us. Watch out for this sort of thing sprouting up in your own heart. That quiet whisper, if we listen to it, could grow up into something a whole lot bigger, a whole lot more harmful. And it could do some real damage. So good things are being said about Gaius. Good things are being done by him last this morning. A good word is given to this man. Look at the good word that John gives Gaius, starting at verse 11. He says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. John's saying, you're doing a good thing, Gaius. You're doing a good thing. Keep on doing the good thing. I need to hear you say this to me often. And you need to hear me say this to you often. Keep doing the good thing, friend. Keep doing the good thing. Well, just a few uh, concluding observations, concluding um, applications for us, and then we'll be on our way. First, don't underestimate the eternal impact of walking with Jesus in the small things. Your greatest impact in the lives of those that God has placed in your path will be seen and felt not in, in the big things that you set out to do for God, but in walking in the truth in the little things of life. Leave a, a wake of eternal impact in the lives of those around you by just humbly walking with Jesus in the small stuff. Second, take courage and welcome the stranger. We may not get to live a, a glamorous life this side of heaven, but we get something way better. Jesus invites us to join him in living the generous life. Take courage and welcome in a stranger. Our hearts and our homes, they're not sacred, off-limit spaces. They're meant to be open places where strangers are welcomed and embraced. Places where strangers are, are brought in and cared for and then sent on their way. Third, keep doing the good things. Keep doing the good things. Do the good things and then keep doing the good things. Your family needs to see you doing the good things. Your neighbors need to see you doing the good things. Keep doing the good things and so make Jesus famous in your little corner of the globe. Gaius was a good man. He was a good man. He did some, some good things, but he only points us to the greatest man who ever lived, and that's Jesus himself. Does your name bring fame to his name? Trevor's going to come, and he's now going to pray these truths into our lives for us now.
God, we do thank you for the book of Third John. We thank you for the example of Gaius. We thank you for the faithful life that he lived. Um, we want to follow his example. We want to we want our names to play a small role in bringing fame and bringing glory to your name. And we pray that you would help us to be faithful uh, in the little things, help us to live um, good lives following you. Pray that you would help us to be, to live generous lives, help us to live hospitable lives, being willing and ready to open our hearts and our homes to strangers, all for the sake of the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus, uh, or John, uh, reminds us that whoever does good is from God. Are you good like Gaius? Are you holding tightly to the greatest man of all time, Jesus himself? Are you walking in the truth? If you, if you know this morning that you belong to God, that this meal, this, this meal that we're about to participate in and partake of together, this meal is for you. Come, eat, drink, be, be filled with the fullness of God. Taste his grace for you and his son. If you, if you think that you belong to him, but you have no interest in, in sort of walking in the truth today, I urge you to, to not come to the table this morning. This table isn't for perfect people, but it is for repenting people, people who know uh, that they're, they're not good apart from 